Be seated. Well, okay. <laughs> so there I was <clears throat> about six weeks ago, maybe seven. I can't remember. The, the days have been kind of rushing by. I was uh, with my uh, fiance in Laura's office, a uh, 69-year-old guy getting marriage counseling from a 30-what-something-year-old <laughs> woman pastor. I think, oh, wow, who would have thunk it? <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, I, I also got a lot of really good dating advice from my 43-year-old son, the guy whose diapers I used to change. It, it just, just life can just boom, you know. But anyway, uh, we were, I, I, I thought of something as we were just kind of visiting, and I said, you know, back when I was expatriated to Kansas, I did a little kind of a sermonette thing, and I've got it in my hip pocket. I can pull it out. Anytime, you, if you are, don't have anyone who could do a sermon and you want one, I've got a pretty good one. It was well-received. And she said, that'd be great. Well, as luck would have it, I can't give that sermon because, because Laura said, George is going to preach a sermon on breaking free from sadness, you know, and I, well, that's not what the sermon's about. You know? <laughs> I got to make up a new one and I'm going to be coming back from my wedding. Oh, well, I, she said, just do a testimony. So that, I guess that's basically what that's going to be is a testimony of, of what happened to me. And, and, uh, um, and, and I have to say that, um, well, two things. One, you, you all know me, and you know I'm not going to make it all the way through this sermon without getting emotional, okay? So if you want a guy, you know, whoever's next to you, make some side bets, you know, check your watch, see how many minutes you guess it's going to be before I get emotional, okay? The other thing is I, I feel a little bit unworthy, or not unworthy, but I'm not the maybe the best one to do this. There are I've been with this church before it was a church, and that's not a way of bragging, but it's just to let you know that I know many of you, and I know uh, that we've all, almost all of us, have suffered some kind of loss, either the death of a spouse or the death of a parent or a brother or even a child. Not a child, but, a, but still a son or a daughter. And, and and I don't know that I'm qualified to speak on behalf of everybody. But what I did find in my journey is that there is a lot of commonality, you know, uh, in, in these kind of things. And uh, so let's, let's go ahead and begin with Scripture. And uh, I'm going to go f- uh, read from the uh, book of Isaiah. It's, uh, Isaiah is a great, great... Uh, it's one of my favorite Old Testament chapters because it's one that, that so often is referred to when uh, uh, people say Christ's forecom- uh, coming was foretold in the Old Testament. Isaiah is one of the main go-to places where people would say, look, it was for, you know, foretold by this prophet. Um, but there was one uh, verse that... Uh, actually, there was a couple of verses. That in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, there's one that that I really do like, and it talks about um, I will uh, gather water with joy, with the joy of salvation. And that's what, you know, this breaking free thing, that's what, that's what we're talking about. Breaking free is just another way of saying deliverance, which is another way of saying salvation. They're all the, they're all the same. It's, it's overcoming something. It's, uh, it's getting through something. Uh, so here is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, okay. I think maybe since 4th of July is coming up pretty soon, it might be kind of fun to start with happiness. Because if, if we're trying to get break free from sadness, isn't that what we're aiming for is happiness? That's what we all want to be. That's what God wants us to be. You know, you don't have to read any further than Genesis to see that God wanted us to be happy. Look what, he, look what kind of a place he, he uh, put Adam and Eve in. How could they not be happy there? They managed to botch it, of course. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I did some, a little bit of research and um, uh, noticed that when I, when I put the word happy or happiness in my uh, iPhone, uh, it came up for, in my Bible app. It just came up with tons of things. It's almost like a Google search, you know, 4,853 you know, 4, mentions of happiness in the Bible. So we know that this is a human condition that has been going on for, for a long, long time. Um, and it's what we want. And the reason I brought up July 4th is because this, the, the seminal document that, that uh, was signed and, and uh, delivered on, on, uh, on July 4th was our Declaration of Independence. And I'm going to tell you a great little story. This is, uh, this is fascinating to me. Thomas Jefferson wrote the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and what did he say that were those in three inalienable rights? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, Jefferson, I think, and a lot of scholars think, had a little bit of help with that term pursuit of happiness. And it dates back, as the farthest back I can take it, is to a Roman poet named Lucretius. He lived about 150 to 200 years before Jesus walked the earth. Lucretius wrote a poem, an epic poem called On the Nature of Things, where he came up with the building blocks of creation, which are atoms. He came up with natural selection. He... he this thing is just an amazing piece of work, and what makes it so amazing, it was done so long ago. The poem drifted off into obscurity, and there is a book called The Swerve, How the World Became Modern, where a guy, uh, where this author tells about a, a, a man named Poggio. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he was, uh, he was a, a, a member of the Pope's staff. This is one of those popes that didn't do so well in Italy and was put under house arrest. Pope, Pope Gio went off, and he loved old documents, and he rediscovered this poem, you know, some uh, probably 14 centuries after it was written and kind of rescued it. Well, this guy Lucretius, when he got the poem, Lucretius said, man's most noble pursuit, or I'm sorry, most noble purpose on this life, in this life, is the pursuit of happiness. 
And it just so happens that Thomas Jefferson had four Latin translations of his poem and also one in English and one in French. So, you know, this, this poet that lived so long ago, well over 2,000 years ago, probably influenced Thomas Jefferson's word choice, the pursuit of happiness is one of those rights. So, that's what we want is happiness. Um, and that's what, you know, it, it's the, when, when you read things like Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella or whatever, how do they all end? They lived happily ever after. And that's what each one of us think, you know, when we get married, when we find that certain someone, we always feel like, yes, we're going to live happily ever after. And, of course, the reality of it is there will come a time when we're going to be faced with sadness. And for me, that time came a couple of years ago when uh, I was in a folk music festival in Kansas. And uh, I got a call from Judy, and I was worried about her. She said she was getting a little bit numb in her, in her uh, cheek and was kind of worried about that. And then she said, and then, you know, I wouldn't worry so much except it's my right cheek and I'm also experiencing a, a numbness and tingling in my right hand. I said, okay, well, she said, but don't come home. Don't come home. Have fun. We'll just talk about it and we'll deal with it when you get back. Well, I called um, Howard and Linnell Gillespie, members of this church, who uh, Linnell's a Stephen minister, uh, Howard's often an usher, and uh, I asked them to have her over for dinner or something like that and see if, if there might be a stroke involved or whatever. Well, they wound up taking her to the hospital and I wound up driving home all night to be uh, at the, see her at the hospital when she got up in the morning. Um, uh, it was the worst news possible. Um, okay. That was not an emotional thing. That was just a dramatic moment, okay? There's just, oh, that's all that was, a dramatic moment. It was a brain tumor. We knew that once it was diagnosed that it was not survivable. Um, and uh, so that, that began our, that, that journey. Um, we were really, in a sense, we were lucky. Uh, my son did some research, and he found out that uh, people uh, with this glioblastoma, I think it's called, um, they normally don't survive more than six months. So the average is six months after death, some shorter, some longer. We got nearly 14 months. We were, in that sense, lucky, and we were able to do a lot of things. We did some, some traveling as we could, and, and, and we had just incredible tender moments together. Um, one thing that, uh, since it was terminal, one thing you know that I was able to do was to try to prepare myself for that. Uh, if you've been in some similar circumstances, you know that's not possible. I mean, you can do things, and I did a lot of really good things to get ready. Um, but um, uh, you know, you one thing that I thought, okay, I'm going to make myself two promises, and uh, one, I'm, I would not deny my grief. I just wouldn't. I want to experience. I wanted to experience. I want it. I wanted to experience it as fully as I can. J. Carroll Parsons uh, appeared on my doorstep very soon after Judy passed away and said uh, something that really, really helped. Uh, she said, uh, and, and something that I think she picked up somewhere else, but she helped me a lot. She said, "You need to be 
free to grieve as deeply as you loved. And that, boy, that really helped. Uh, you know, because I, I wanted, I knew I needed to go through grief. But I wanted to make myself a second promise, okay? The second promise is that I promised myself I wouldn't let this grief dominate me. I wouldn't let it define me. I would not let myself wallow in self-pity. I just didn't want that. Uh, I wanted to pursue happiness. And I knew it was going to be a long road. I knew there were going to be a lot of times when uh, uh, someone, there's someone trying to get in. Is, are, are the doors locked? Or? <laughs> there they go. Neat. Hi, come on in. You're just up. You're here just in time for the best part. <laughs> Yeah, grab a hanky. <laughs> I, I, I'm so sorry to do that to you. <laughs> I'm not the real minister. I'm just some guy just walking. <laughs> if I were a real minister, I know. Uh, but anyway, I made those two promises to myself. I would, I would allow myself. I'd, I wanted to go through the grief process. I wanted to do it well. Um, and, and then the other thing was is, is that I wouldn't uh, wallow in grief and, and self-pity. Um, I discovered a lot of things. One, I discovered, you know, Judy wasn't able to, um, um, she wasn't able to do a whole lot. She wasn't able to cook. I discovered I'm a darn good cook. I really am. And I never knew that. She, you know, when I t- told her that I'd be fixing the meals, she said, um, she said, well, you only know how to make two things, you know. And I said, well, I'll learn the rest. Don't worry. It'll, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll all work. And, it, and it, I just discovered that I really enjoyed cooking in the kitchen and everything. I discovered how to work the washer and dryer. I had never done that before. You know, so there were, there were things that, that were almost empowering about going through this process. Um, but... The, the, probably the most significant thing is that it also caused me to, to reevaluate or, to, I don't know, to take the next evolutionary step in my concept of God. Um, and it strengthened my belief that, that, uh, that God is love. That is what God is. And God lives through each of us, and God works through each of us. That's, boy, if you don't take anything else from this little, you know, rambling of mine, take that away that God works through us today just as he did 2,000 years ago in human form, just as he did 2,000 years. He works through us, each other. And that, you know, this is the part where I really could get emotional. That's the, that's the thing, or that's the area where I found I got the most emotional. I didn't you know, weep and wail because I was going to lose my wife so much as I wept a lot in response to what people did for us. You people, you know, uh, cards. We got cards from everybody, it seemed like, and those meant so much. And I would read them to Judy because she couldn't read, and boy, I'd lose it, you know. Um, you fixed us dinners. Laura came over not long after we got back from our first trip to MD Anderson where they sent a needle into Judy's brain to pick up a little scrap of tissue to make sure they knew what it was and, and that, that confirmed that was a real diagnosis. 
And uh, Judy was just wiped out on the way back, after we got back home. Laura came over and just visited with me, and it was absolutely wonderful. I know that there's no minister who does everything you want that minister to do. They're going to have things that they're really good at and other things that they're not so good at. I'll tell you one thing that Laura Hykus is good at, and that's pastoral care. I know that firsthand. And I would put her up against anybody in the world in pastoral care. She was good. And I remember she, we, we prayed at the end of that, and I bowed my head, and for, for some reason I didn't close my eyes, and I, boy, my tears, that was cool looking. My, my tears were just going right straight down. And, and, and um, I thought of that just uh, not long ago, when I, just last weekend when I got married. And, and Laura did another prayer for us. There were more tears. Right into Betsy's bouquet. <laughs> um, you know, I, I shouldn't do this because I'm going to leave people out. I know I will, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, we, when we were in the hospital, Kathy McKinney came over. Uh, as, uh, you know, she was one of the, that's one of the things that she volunteered to do was hospital visits. And she came to, to our hospital room. She was very uh, ill at ease and didn't know exactly what to do, and we didn't know how to receive her. At that point, we hadn't heard the news. And, but it was just so sweet that someone from church was there, and that meant a ton. Um, uh, I know that we went on the prayer chain. I saw actually some of the things that people uh, wrote. Didn't know who wrote them, but I saw them there. And uh, once again, I, I, uh, I was so thankful. We got a prayer shawl. We got the Bee Creek UMC prayer shawl. And then we even got a prayer shawl from the uh, University Christian Church in Fort Worth, where I grew up. Um, and, you know, there's so many things that you all did. You were, you were with me on that walk, and we're with Judy on that walk. And, and, uh, but what was also fascinating to me is that her sorority sisters were sending us cards and gifts and everything. My fraternity brothers. I had a guy that I didn't, never even knew who lived in Houston saying, we have a big house, I've done pretty well, and you're welcome to a room at that house anytime you're at MD Anderson. Um, uh, I, I even, uh, I, I participated in a, a, like a forum, um, uh, on the internet for people who have the same kind of little travel trailer that I have. I have a molded, 17 foot molded fiberglass trailer called a casita. And those people were putting all kinds of nice things about us. And, and uh, one guy responded that, if I needed a place in Houston, if I wanted to bring my casita down there, I could park it in his driveway. He said, I live just about five minutes from uh, MD Anderson. And I'm thinking, what? This is incredible. Um, you know, you just don't know uh, how much you're loved until something like this happens. And uh, that's, that's, I sort of say that's the good side of all this. And, and, it, and it is, it's hard to make anything good out of there, but, but you know, remember, uh, remember this this, uh, this passage. Uh, we were we were getting beauty for ashes. Uh, we were seeing it in all sorts of ways and through all sorts of means. Gosh, we, I say I cooked a lot. I did cook pretty much, but I normally I'd, all I needed to do is heat up the things that you guys brought to us. And. Uh, 
uh, boy, if there's anything that makes you feel better, it's LaRue Woods cooking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> um, but uh, I, one thing I did, too, during this time is I took advantage of the Stephen Minister program. And there's another thing, that another ministry that I would recommend highly. You don't need it when you, I mean, you don't need it just for something as serious as losing your spouse. Uh, you, can use a, you can use a Stephen minister for anything you want, uh, anything that's troubling you, anytime you need to talk to someone. These people have undergone all kinds of uh, training on active listening and, and, and help, and, uh, and it's all very confidential. They do not even tell their spouses who they're, who they're dealing with. And that gives you so much freedom to just say anything you want and know that you'll not be judged, you will not uh, be held in contempt, you will, uh, you know, it's totally anonymous. And I was so happy that I had my anonymous Stephen Minister, <coughs> Jay Spencer, <coughs> uh, to, uh, to, <laughs> to help me. Well, he has to be anonymous, I don't. Um, <laughs> And, and we met weekly, uh, usually for lunch, and if I couldn't get away, if I needed to be with Judy, he would uh, bring a burger and we would, uh, you know, we would have lunch together and talk. And uh, that was incredibly wonderful. And uh, Jay, I didn't dismiss Jay or he didn't dismiss me uh, when Judy died. We kept on meeting for a long time after that, and I'll get to that later too, I think. Um, Another, but see the you y'all can kind of see the uh, the thread in this that that uh, the one true thing is that faith is lived in family and community. God's uh, God is experienced in family and community, just as he experience is experienced here. He's experienced everywhere, and if we if we see him in each other, you know it, it's interesting. I I. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, I used to, I really wanted to know what God looked like, you know, and I saw the pictures of the hairy thunderer, you know, and, um, and I thought, okay, so he's, he's got these white robes and this long beard and this kind of stern look and whatnot, and, and I remember when I was a little kid going to University Christian Church, one night at uh, uh, the Christmas Eve service, there was a stained glass window in the back, and boy, I thought maybe maybe God's there, and I'll squint my eyes, and maybe I can see the face of God. If I just opened up in my eyes and looked around me, as I'm doing right now, I, that's where I'd see the face of God. And I think that's, you know, when, when you go back to Isaiah, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me and you and you and you to preach good tidings to the poor, to proclaim acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn. You know, this may have been a prophecy of the coming Christ, but I think, I think he's saying this is what each of us could say. Each of us can bring beauty for ashes. And I'm... It's my testimony that that's what I experienced here. It's people at this church who did so much. Carol Mitchell, bless her heart, she came over, and she, Carol's a nurse. She came over and gave Judy like a little spa day. All afternoon, she painted her fingernails, she massaged her back, she did all kinds of nice things, 
and uh, she called it a spa day for Judy. And, uh, and that's when I went and got my suit altered, you know, and bought a pair of black shoes and everything getting ready. Um, the, it just, that meant a ton. It especially meant a lot to Judy because there's one lady who came that Judy didn't like, and she said, don't let her come anymore. <laughs> not, it's not a member of this church. <laughs> you can rest easy. There wasn't anyone here that she didn't want to see. Probably the most tender thing came uh, uh, about a week before. Uh, we're in a small group, and boy, those people, they stepped up big time. Howard and Lamel Gillespie are in that group, and, and uh, so are Bob and Becky Burke. And when this church was meeting down there on the bottom of the hill, uh, Judy pointed to, to Bob and Becky, and she said, we need to make them feel really accepted and wanted here because those are neat people. And um, <laughs> after I, I let them know that, uh, that I knew they'd probably be meeting for lunch and I, one Sunday. And I said, look, after you all have lunch, if you'd like to come by and, and say goodbye to Judy, uh, you're welcome to. I don't think there's much longer to go. And, uh, oh, boy, I, I'm going to make it through this. Uh, the, the, the neat thing was Becky taking Judy's hand and saying, thank you for being my friend. Boy, <laughs> that'll, that'll get you going. Um, now, one Bee Creek member who's actually, he's, he's moved away. He had lost his wife about a year before uh, Judy's death. And his name's Larry Warder. And uh, I knew Larry uh, actually before this church came about because I worked at Barton Creek Lakeside in the pro shop uh, where I had a great time, you know, making tea times and members would come in and I'd find some creative way to insult them without them knowing I was insulting them. <laughs> I'll, I'm honorary, I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, but Larry's a guy that I knew that I really liked Larry. He was so much fun. Um, but he, he took me to lunch once, um, you know, right after Judy died. And then he took me to, out to eat. Uh, and he said, you're, George, you're going to be okay. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work all these processes and everything. And I said, no, no, you're going to be okay. I said, okay. He said, on the Internet, go on the Internet and start meeting some women. You don't have to, you know, you're not looking for love right now. You're just looking for someone, uh, you know, friend, you want to get out, you can't just sit in your house all the time, you need to be out there. And he said, I went on eHarmony, and I, I met a lot of women, and had a few dates, and it's been good, it's been very healing for me. I said, okay. <laughs> well, it was way too soon, but, but I did that, and so I started seeing some people. Um, it was interesting, to say the least, um, with every, with every one of them up to a point, uh, every, it, either they weren't right for me or I wasn't right for them. And it, it wasn't that there were any problems, you know. It's just that you just kind of know, I think. But, boy, it's hard to go back to, you know, like dating. But that's where my son said, Dad, don't, uh, don't get in too big a rush. Don't, don't expect too much, you know, just, just be out there. I did meet one lady named Sally, and she, um, 
is, is interesting because she was attractive. She was just a year or two younger than me. Um, and uh, <laughs> I thought, boy, this is great. I feel very comfortable with her. I'm not romantically attracted to her, but she's kind of neat. Well, uh, Sally invited me to do something that involved uh, going to somebody's house, some friends of hers. And we, uh, uh, we were, uh, the day of that date, she sent me an email and said, George, I don't know what to say, but I just want you to know that every time we get together, you're talking about Judy. He said, uh, we ordered a pizza. Remember, we watched a movie over at my place, and, and so we ordered a pizza delivered, and you told me what Judy's favorite pizza was. I said, I wanted to go look at blue bonnets. You took me to where you scattered Judy's ashes. <laughs> it was Willow City Loop. It's the best place to see blue bonnets. <laughs> you know? um, but she was right. I, I talked way too much about it. She, um, but she did one thing that I really appreciate. She told me, she sent me this book. She didn't just tell me about it. She sent me this book called Seven Choices. Finding Daylight After Loss Shatters Your World. And it was written by a friend of hers. It turns out this book was actually uh, provided by the Red Cross to families after the tragic events of uh, 9-11. And um, I started reading it. And, I, you know, Jake Carroll gave me a great book and, and probably the best book for me to, to read uh, by E.E. E. Cummings, I think it was, um, talking about some of the feelings. And, boy, just hit right on the nail what I was kind of going through at that point. This book... First few chapters, I said, yes, yes, yes. And um, I, it was really incredibly helpful. Now, things didn't work out with Sally <laughs> as far as taking our relationship any further. But her, the book really helped me in my grief process. In fact, I decided I would be more... Uh, oh, I got a text from Laura. Uh, <laughs> it just says, amen. <laughs> Maybe it's... Oh, I got a wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> Betsy's giving me the signal. I think we have a signal. But I, I made up this list, and, and it was uh, the one. I, uh, this was called Getting M Meaning and Harmony and Balance Back into My Life. And I wrote, take care of myself through exercise, eating healthy foods, um, regular checkups. Uh, another one was grow through travel. Boy, I've traveled a lot uh, in that year after Judy died find ways to give of myself, show love and support to Harper and Maggie, my son and my daughter and their families. Remodel the house. That was really important to me. I didn't want to live in a museum. I needed to make the place more my own. Judy's there. She still is. But I wanted to walk in and say, this is my house. Now I can walk in with Betsy and say, it's our house. I need to get to that real quick before I wrap up. And then the other thing was my, my son's advice don't get into a rush or expect too much from relationships. Well, that kind of went out the window when I was looking. I was about to give up just, you know, the seeing women thing. It was just not going to work. And then, and then I uh, uh, happened to uh, go see on Match.com this great profile. The woman was so cute, so pretty, and just so full of life. And so I thought, well, she's awfully young, but I'll go ahead and, and uh, give it a try. 
And so I wrote to her, and she wrote me back. And, and then I started saying, can we meet for coffee? She was in San Antonio. I thought, this is perfect because she'll be way off there, and I won't overdo it, you know. And, and, I, and so I, I, she say, no, I'm real busy right now at my work, and I, I run this, I own a spa, a little spa where we do facials. And I said, okay, um, could I make an appointment for a facial? <laughs> I, I went down there and had a facial. <laughs> It was pretty good. <laughs> oh, and, and after and I got there before, while she was still out to lunch, and when the um, uh, the door burst open and in comes Betsy with one of her employees, and the very first thing I noticed is how happy she was, and that was wonderful. And so I had my facial, and then after after that was over, Betsy said, "Come on, sit down, let's talk," and she said. I think I better start with a confession. And I said, what's that? And she said, I'm really not as young as I said I was. Well, she, <laughs> um, so she lied. <laughs> she, she said that right away, though, and that was great. When, when we got married this past weekend in Carmel, this woman said, she was crazy. She said uh, in, the, in the hotel, um, she said, uh, uh, well, when I die, I want my husband to be sad. I don't know. I want him to be sad. And I thought, mm, okay, <laughs> whatever. And, she, and then later on, she said, was, this, was Betsy your first casserole? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that, you, that I had to deal with is that this idea, and Laura, again, helped me so much through this, she, she said to Betsy, Betsy, the human heart is an amazing thing. I, this is what I want my children to hear. The human heart is an amazing thing. She pointed to a glass of water on her desk. She said, if I wanted tea in there, I, don't have to, I would have to pour the water out to add the tea. George does not have to pour Judy out of his heart to have you in his heart as well. Boy, that meant so much. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to tell my kids. That's what I want to tell them. But I just want to thank you. Uh, it was, I was sad, and then you helped me overcome that sadness. And I want to thank all of you for that. Even those of you I don't know and don't know me, I, it's, it's good to tell you this story because it, it, it's, it helps me probably more than it helps you. Let us pray. God, you've given us everything we need to be happy. A beautiful planet of earth and water. All kinds of living things. But God, most of all, you give us each other. You work through us to nurture, to support, to love each other, and to spread your love. We thank you for that so very much. Amen. Okay, now for the real treat, real quick. Some churches have a, uh, like a bell choir. Our church is forming a ukulele choir. You've probably seen the ukuleles up here. Or maybe you haven't. Here, let me hand them out. Here's one for Ray. Oh, here's a nice one for Sandra. Ray and Sandra are pretty new to the church. And we're so happy to have them with us. Sarah gets one. Martha's already got hers. And if I can get this thing on, uh, uh-oh, the capo's off. Okay. 
So we're going we're going to sing this, and you're going to help us sing this as the closing hymn. Okay. Ready? One, two, a one, two. Stay up here. Thank you. I'm, I should have said that uh, usually you can come forward and join the church, but we can't do that today. Uh, today's our day to play hard to get. <laughs> so go with this benediction. Love on each other. Spread God's love to each other and throughout the world. Amen. <laughs>